welcome to the Eric Lang Show. Everyone's levels are set. Is that true? Test. They are. I feel Check like mine. How is it? Doc's levels are good. Okay. Um, Perfect. Let's stay level. Ve- stay <laughs> level. Keep it on the level. Dude, Doc, I'm really excited to uh, have you here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. We've had a long journey together. We have. That's right. So for those of you that are not familiar with Dr. Perrin's work, um, we, I, I guess... Uh, when most people recognize you, they see your shirt probably, or they say, you wrote that book that I read. Yeah, what what usually happens is I'm on the range or on a golf course, and they say, uh, like your shirt or like your hat, because they say Zen golf on them. And I say, I said, thank you. And they said, what do you mean, thank you? Did you write that? And I said, yeah. They go, oh, wow. Right. And um, and I'm, I never get tired of that. It's really sweet. Uh, why why what, do you think you never get what, tired of it? Um, because it means that the book is continuing to give um, peace of mind and uh, enjoyment and instruction to help people uh, enjoy golf more and get better at it. Right. And, and that's kind of one of my key... The reason I set them in that order is one of my favorite phrases is if you... Uh, people think, if, you, if I only I got better, I'd enjoy it more, and it's actually the other way around. If only you'd enjoy it more, you'd get better. Uh, you're talking about golf, or what yeah. are you talking about? Oh, everything. <laughs> golf and life. You know, I, I wrote Zen Golf um, to be a life book as well as a golf book. And all the instruction comes from lessons that I actually did. When I first published it, when I first wrote it, the editor said, uh, you know, a few of your chapters don't mention golf. And I said, yeah, I know. It's about life. And he said, well, we're trying to publish a golf book, so would you add a little golf? So if you read Zen Golf you'll hit a couple of chapters where it goes on and on and on. And and then uh, it says, and in golf, which is a a paragraph I added in for for, for the editors. (laughs) To help the editor, right? That's right. So um, I guess let's first talk about, you know, I I guess, I I assume that there's probably a lot of people in your life that you've met through the book. Oh, yeah. It's it's been incredible. I, I worked with Ray Romano for a long time. And uh, his friend had read the book and introduced him to it and got me on the phone. And Ray said, this is really weird. I'm listening to you because I recorded the audiobook. So he was listening to the CD of the audiobook. I'm listening to you in my car while I'm talking to you on the phone. This is really weird. <laughs> so um, I worked with him and Kevin James, and we had a, a, a lot of fun, um, mainly at the AT&T, you know, right. where, where it was all about making the cut. Right. Um, I, I'm one of those people. I read the book, um, eight years ago. And then why don't you tell the story? Uh, was it just eight years ago? It feels like I longer think it than might, that. Might, might've been longer, but I've only been playing golf eight years. <clears throat> so if I read it, it would, it would not fit the timeline. Well, okay. sounds good. So why don't you tell the, the part, uh, up to when you emailed me? So I had just gotten into golf and, uh, my brother, you know, I've talked about the story a bunch, but my brother and I are opposites. He finally convinced me after hundreds of attempts to try golf with him, uh, played it, loved it, fell in love, um, to my surprise, to my disappointment, to my, you know, it was not what I wanted to do. And shortly after, um, you know, becoming truly addicted, buying a driver, buying refurbished balls and stuff like that. Uh, he sent me a book uh, to my house that I, in L.A. Uh, because it had helped him. And it was a small blue book about, what, seven inches by five inches, maybe? Eight Something by like six. That. Yeah. 
And it was about maybe 130 pages, maybe mm-hmm. 180 or 150. And all the chapters are very short. And each chapter was basically um, kind of a, a conversation with, um, you know, a student, a student about how to basically apply Buddhist principles to your golf game. The book was called Zen Golf. I uh, inhaled that book um, very fast, very rapidly. I think I read it in a couple of days. It it was at the same time that I was driving through Alabama playing the Robert Trent Jones Trail the same year that Phil Mickelson won the Masters, which I believe, I think that's 2010, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was this remarkable experience for me of, for the first time, having already been involved in spiritual-ish things, like getting sober or whatever, or, or even as a kid, I had a little... Mm-hmm. I had a baseball hat. You know how you would write things on the underside of your brim? Mm-hmm. On one of them, I wrote, whatever will be, will be. You know, and I was uh, nine or 10 years old. So I probably always had the seed of that stuff, but no fuel, right? Exactly. No, no water or soil. And so this book came along and I was ready for it, you know. And in it, the, the book that you wrote, Zen Golf, there were um, a lot of different, very relatable chapters, you know, uh, some of my favorite fire, your evil inner caddy. And I've already broken that down on the podcast. Once I read it, remember you sent me the, mm-hmm. the copy of it. And, and, you know, it's just talking about self-talk. It's talking about everything in golf, except how to swing really, except, except right. swing path, uh, mm-hmm. no putting drills that are technical. Um, you know, and basically it also offered a five minute meditation practice. Mm-hmm. And I began doing that immediately in the car as I was sleeping in the car in Alabama and I would meditate and I would read the book. And I was, if I were to look back on that time in my life, that may be one of the best periods of my life. Um, I was on the road. I had, I had just enough money to be able to continue putting gas in the car and mm-hmm. stealing breakfast from Holiday Inn and paying for tea times. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was, money wasn't a thing. Like it wasn't like, right. you know... Um, there were no contracts or no deals. It was just, it was just a very fertile moment. And I remember driving a few specific moments of road, just, just driving and being present maybe for the first time in my life as, as a former drug addict, uh, being present, I think is actually a goal that we attempted to achieve with drugs, you know, avoiding all the conversation, uh, internally. And so Zen golf really for the first time taught me how to do that. And then I just kept being uh, affected positively uh, by the book for, I think, a few a few weeks to a month afterwards. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. still really radiating in me. So when I got back to Los Angeles, I found out that you lived uh, only 90 minutes outside of L.A. in Ojai. Uh, and I just picked up the phone and called you. I, th- I don't know how I found your number. And I remember... Did we, you call or email? I don't remember. Oh, I called because right. you're, oh, yes, that's you're, right. you're one... I called you and left you a voicemail. Right. I think it was your office phone. And I said, hi, my name is Eric. I'm sure you get a lot of these messages, but your book changed my life. And I just needed to let you know that. And if you're ever around, give me a call. And I, and I left my number and then I left my number again. And you <laughs> called me back and left me a voicemail. And you said, what did you say? Do you remember? Uh, something like, uh, thank you for your appreciation of the, of the work. And if you're interested in getting meditation instruction, because you had, you had focused on that more than the golf. Yeah. You'd focused on the mindfulness. And, and I remember you saying that your brother had taken some classes on mindfulness. 
and and that you had talked with him about it and it was it was the avenue for you to connect with your brother in a way you'd never had before exactly and so you said oh i want to know more about this mindfulness and from my point of view if a student says i want to know about mindfulness i will teach him so i said i called back and said if you want to know about about mindfulness and meditation uh, come up to ohio i'll give you your own personal sessions right and you went Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you came up and we did meditation practice and we talked about it and you got uh, excited about it. We went on the golf course and did some, did some stuff on that. And, and really, what Zen golf, if you boil it down to its essence, it's helping you get out of your own way and get the most out of your abilities. Yeah. So whatever your abilities are at the present level, I mean, I, I had, uh, yesterday I had all day with a 20 handicapper. The day before I spent the morning with two pros and the afternoon with a guy who's going to play for college, a college team. So we had the whole, the whole range and it applies for everybody because we all, we all find in our life too, things we do and ways we think and feel that get in our own way. Right. And it's about getting out of your own way and connecting with that, um, state of mind that lets us really, really live life completely fully and access everything that we want to, that we're capable of in ourselves and touch everything in the world and not be so shut off from it. Right. So when you can do that on the golf course, you hit shots and you go, wow, that felt better than anything I ever felt in my life. And when you do it in life, you feel like that was such a satisfying exchange. We we have had some pretty uh, magical rounds together. The one that sticks out to me is, <clears throat> well, I guess let's first go into a little bit of our history, then we'll get back to these rounds of golf. But so then I came up, we meditated. I remember you told me the story about the piece of paper. Ah, uh, yes, that's... you you blew my fucking mind. <laughs> like I was not ready for it. I was not ready for it. He hold he we're sitting in his living room. And we had meditated for a half an hour, and then he holds up a piece of paper, and you should do it to Jeff. Well, it's, it's a teaching on, on emptiness and, in, it's, and mainly interdependence yeah. by Thich Nhat Hanh, and he teaches it by holding up uh, a blank white piece of paper. Yeah. And so, Here. so Jeff, you can imagine, I'm holding a blank white piece yeah. of paper. Oh, I think Eric's about to get one. I'm going to give him a prop. <laughs> there you go. There we, got, we got a prop. He took okay. it off the corkboard. So we, we have to cover up the print part, but can you see the clouds in this piece of paper? Uh, not at the moment. <laughs> right. Um, can you see the rain in the piece of paper? No. You see there are clouds, there's rain. The rain falls on the trees and makes the trees grow because it's the trees that are cut down to be turned into pulp and then made into paper. So the trees are in, in this piece of paper and the lumberjack is in this piece of paper and the cotton shirt he was wearing and the farmer that grew the cotton and the the factory that made the shirts and everything is in this piece of paper, everything in the universe, cause it's all interconnected. The only thing that isn't in this is paper because that's a label for the collections of everything that came together in time and space in this moment to have this appear as a white piece of paper. And what blew Eric's mind was I said, so that means that, all of the things in your life, like your mother, your father, your brother, um, you're wearing clothes, so all the farmers that, that grew the cotton, 
the rain, the clouds, everything in the universe is in you, everything except Eric. Right. Because that's just a label for all those things that have come together and arisen as an appearance in this moment, and it changes moment to moment. So those are the essential teachings that are the foundation of, of everything I teach. Um, my golf books, Zen Tennis, the diet book I wrote, and, and the new book on, on Winnie the Pooh, which we'll talk about later. It's a, Te- great, it's teaching, a great book. Teaching Mindfulness. It's a great book but, for parents or single dudes. The, 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 <laughs> the whole point is it's impermanence and interdependence. Right. Everything changes and we, we become a new person each moment. And who we are is dependent on who we're with. Right. Um, when I'm talking with you, I'm a certain kind of person. When I'm talking with my wife, I'm a different kind of person. When I'm talking with a student who I'm giving a golf lesson to, I'm different. And I'm not any one of those, but I'm all of those. The, the experience of the paper... When it was, was interesting. The- like We almost have to accept that um, you know, we're malleable in a way. We're mm-hmm. not just one thing. In fact, if we were one thing, and, and this is a chapter I put in Zen Putting... Are you a river or a statue? A river keeps changing and moves through various different stages and different forms. And, and um, you know, it's an ancient Greek philosopher said you never enter the same, same, the same stream twice, hmm. which means the river is always changing. It's new water coming through. But a statue, you know, that's the, that always stays the same. Now, it's solid and dependable, but basically it's not good for much but uh, a place for pigeons to sit on. So, <laughs> But a statue so, means you've done something good. No, that... It, <laughs> okay, okay, okay. That's... Well, for the, the person did something good. The statue <laughs> is just standing it's just there. rocks. That's right. I mean, God, so many mind-blowing things we've talked about together. Mm-hmm. The paper thing really gets me because... Well, there was one time I was driving through Washington State and a guy... I had a, he was a truck driver and I sat down next to him. I was like, what are you driving? And he was like, uh, milk. And I was like, uh, oh no, he was like, I'm driving uh, dairy cows. And I was like, oh, I was like, you think you've ever had milk from one of those cows? And he just couldn't even respond. <laughs> the idea that, I mean, how do you define coincidence? Because, because in a way, this whole paper thing talks about the magical reverberating, never ending coincidence of life. I mean, even the That's way right. you and That's I right. met. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if we could ever determine it, but I'm sure that you and I have affected each other's lives. Well, unquestionably, we've affected each other's lives. Everybody you meet affects your life, more or less. It's just different degrees. Uh, coincidence is very simple. S- split it into the two parts. Co means with. Incidence is occurrence. So it's an occurrence with of two things meeting. In the, the Buddhist tradition... Uh, we talk about a phrase that's translated as auspicious coincidence. Now, what that means is that all of the factors that have come together from one side and all of the factors that have come together from the other side meet in a way that's going to be beneficial for people. And that's an auspicious coincidence. So all the things that you did, uh, recovering from drug addiction and reconnecting with your brother based on mindfulness and reconnecting with your brother with golf and mindfulness and golf being put together, and then him saying, hey, if that's how we're going to talk, if that's how we're connected, let me send you this book, Zen Golf. That was, all of those were the auspicious coincidence that led you to the action of calling me. Hmm. And all the things of my training and everything I've done led to the action of responding and not saying, 
Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, pal. I'm, I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure you're interested, but I have better things to do. Right. That's not what my training was. Right. My training was when a student requests something, you try to, you, you try to uh, offer them what they need. And so those two things come, coming together were our meeting. And that has benefited a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so then we hang out. We talk about the paper. I get my, I get my mind blown every hour. And then uh, we play golf. And then we kind of continue on and deepen our friendship into like a dirt, like literally I became a Buddhist. Mm-hmm. That's right. I don't know if I still am. <laughs> um, also, you got to remember in L.A. being a Buddhist is sort of you got to watch out for that. Because there's a lot of people in LA who are like, I'm Buddhist. <laughs> and I don't really personally at the moment define myself as a Buddhist, but I definitely um, feel like there's a way of living your life that is more Buddhist than not. Well, if you're really a Buddhist, you wouldn't l- define yourself and label yourself as a Buddhist. Booyah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, wanna, <laughs> I, I think for people who don't, don't know it, the, the history and the, where the word comes from, it come, B- Buddhism comes from the the term Buddha, and that was a a um, a name given to the teacher twenty five hundred years ago. But it, it's not something about uh, a divine right or or a, a title or anything like that. It's a description, huh. and that is because uh, when he had his moment of realization, like the aha moment of hey, this is all connected by the tree. Whoa. Whoa. and got up and had a kind of peace of mind that was uncommon at the time. It was, a you know, 2,500 years ago, life was tough. Mm. Uh, and, and this person saw him walking the other way and said, you know, you don't look like an ordinary human being. Hmm. What are you? Are you like a, a tree spirit or a rock spirit or some kind of, you know, uh, God that's taking human form? Because that, it was an animus kind of, kind of time. Yeah, um, all gods were animals. Yeah, at the time. that's yeah. right. And and he said, uh, he said, he said, he didn't say who are you, which is what you say when you meet somebody. He said, what are you? Hmm. And Gautama answered, I am awake. That's what I am. Hmm. And so if In you Sanskrit. And, and the word the the language of the time, bud means awake, and you had H A on the end, and that is one who is. So Buddha is one who is awake. Right. Which means he was the historical Buddha, but we are all we all have capability of being that, and in certain moments, we're awake. And so, so if you translated Buddhism into English, it would translate as awakeism. Right. So if you have a commitment to being awake, and following one part is, and this is this is the commitment that you made, um, following the example of people who have made that commitment to wake up and and listening and practicing the instructions that they give which are a guide for waking up and uh sharing your experience with others and supporting each other in that journey to wake up the buddha the dharma and the sangha yeah exactly that's what you made a commitment to so so it's not to a person and it's not to a thing it's to uh how you want to live your life and from what I've, I've seen and of our interactions over, over time, that hasn't particularly changed. You're right. Yeah. Well, there you go. I was wrong. Wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> but, we, but we began this really interesting story. 
together of kind of, um, you know, uh, you kind of leading me down this path of, of pretty, pretty intense Buddhist, uh, teaching. I mean, we, Mm -hmm. we were, we had beads, we had incense, we were, people were wearing robes. We were, you know, (laughs) you're squinting, but no, but I mean, it was, I mean, it was all Westerners, but we were all, we, we went, we went on several retreats. Yes, that's right. Um, you know, we would we would live more or less in silence. Yes, uh, in intensive study and practice programs. Yeah, Ab- absolutely. And and the idea there is that um, to gather yourself, you need to retreat a little bit. <clears throat> you know, we we've talked about that when when we play golf. You don't just walk up and hit the ball. You kind of take a step back, right? And gather yourself, and then you enter into the action. So in the same way in our lives, we have to take some times where we take a step back, take a breath, calm down, get some perspective on what we're about to enter into. And that's the, mo- that's the number one chapter in Zen golf, taking a bigger perspective, taking mm-hmm. a different perspective, but it's getting a perspective on what we're going to enter into and then stepping back in. And if you don't have those times of stepping out and getting some perspective, you really get caught in whether you want to call it a merry-go-round horizontally or a Ferris wheel vertically or a dog chasing its own tail. And that's what we end up, that's how a lot of people spend a lot of their lives and they're always chasing and they never get anywhere. I read a quote the other day that really struck me. It was, um, it's not that life is short. It's that we take so long to start living. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Do you think it's getting worse with all of the digital technology that we're bombarded with now? Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody's distracted. Everybody's looking for the next email or Instagram. Well, I think it's, it's uh, as usual, it's two sides of the same coin. Okay. So we thought all these things would be um, uh, leisure. They would be work-saving devices and add to leisure time. Uh, the, the, you know, I'm, I'm 60 some years old. So 40 years ago, all these things, oh, this is going to be so cool. We're going to have automation. We're going to have all this stuff. We're going to just have to work an hour a day. And the rest of the time, we just get to kick back. <laughs> it, we're so wrong. So absolutely wrong. So now in addition to working longer hours, because everybody wants more productivity per person, we're also, then I also have to check my Instagram, my Twitter feed, my Snapchat, my this, that, that, my Facebook, my this, that. Oh, I got emails coming in. And we're bombarded with stuff where mm. before the cell phone, um, you can't reach me, you know, and I can't call you because there's no phone booth on this corner. <laughs> so so, <laughs> we, so had more we, patience we had in a way. We had much less input and much less to do in response to all that input. Now, on the flip side, it has taken us so far that people have gone, I can't take this anymore. Mm. And, um, and this is, you know, there's an interesting thing in the Buddhist tradition. We don't have, we don't have missionaries. We don't proselytize. Like the Mormons. Um, well, like a lot of different, different religions, because it's not so much a religion as it is a practice for working with your state of mind. So we don't have that. And my teacher said, you know, when people get to the, uh, end of their rope and they're frazzled and say, I got to do something to, to chill out. They find us. And so, so really that's what happens. And that's what has happened in the mindfulness movement that people have said, I'm, I'm going around in circles. My brain is spinning so fast. I got to settle down. How do I do that? And because we have so much communication, 
if somebody says, how do I calm down? You Google that in, so, something about mindfulness is going to come up. <laughs> and they go, oh, okay, I'll try that. And you get immediate, immediate results. And, and this is one of my favorite results. I, I, I teach mindfulness on a regular basis. And someone usually asks, so, you know, what's the benefit? You know, how soon will I get some benefit? I said, the benefit is immediate. Because when you sit down for 10 minutes and just sit, sit upright, pay attention, notice what you're feeling, notice what you're breathing, notice your environment, for those, and, and for those 10 minutes, you are not causing yourself or others any more trouble. <laughs> so you've taken yourself out of circulation for 10 minutes and stopped causing trouble for yourself and others. So you have an immediate benefit. But also when you go back into engagement after that, you go in with a little different perspective and a little more groundedness. Well, that's one of my big memories of <clears throat> our different times together was we had we went up to Polahari, which is this uh, retreat center in five hours north, four hours north of LA. Yeah, near San Luis Obispo. Yeah, Cayucos, kind of. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's up in the mountains. Dude, Jeff, it is like, it looks like a secret military bunker, but it's got <laughs> Buddhist flags. And there's like a little archery range. And so we had been up there for several days. And one morning, we meditated for four hours. Well, yeah, not continuously. It would be like a half an hour, and then we'd walk mindfully for five minutes and then, or 10 minutes and then sit down again. So, but over that time, yes, with, with little bits of instruction yeah. connected with each session. So but, don't, I don't want, I don't want people to get the idea you sit down and, and you, you have to, you're frozen in this rigid posture for four hours and you're screaming. But you can do that. Strong determination. Um, and <laughs> for the and beginners some experience out there. For, for the beginners, for the beginners, you, you out sit there. you sit for ten minutes, yeah, and then stretch and refresh yourself, and then sit for another ten if you want. For the beginners out there, get Zen Golf. There's a chapter at the at, towards the two thirds of the way through the book, cultivating that, and strengthening awareness. Yeah, and that goes into meditation. If you want more, just call Doc <laughs> <laughs> or call me. Oh, and then he's got a new book out. We'll we'll get to the new book, A Walk in the Wood. It's it's Winnie the Pooh, and it's a, it's a beautiful cover. Meditation and Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. And he wrote it with his sister, which is right. a family story. That's right. So anyway, so we meditate for four hours, however you want to say it. And then we went and played golf. Yes, And we played right. um, uh, something Bay? Moral, Moral Bay. Bay. Moral we played Bay. Moral Bay, and I was fucked up. I mean, like, you know what I mean? It's like you get a little high off meditation. Um, you, you, you know, you get high and not... What, what's interesting is... And they, and they talk about that. There's a, a picture of a Buddha sitting there touching the ground. Mm. And from the Buddhist point of view, you getting high, it, it's not like you get up and out of, away from the earth and, in, and just, you know, kind of only in your mind. You actually get more down to earth. So what you were experiencing was a clarity and a freedom from the kind of, kind of continuous current of thinking, 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 thinking. And when you do that, it, it feels like um, what you would describe as getting high because the colors are brighter right? and the sounds are clearer. And when a thought comes by, you notice it popping into your mind and go, oh, that's interesting. And then it disappears and it's not like a continuous undercurrent, like underbrush. You clear away that underbrush and there are all these beautiful trees and forest, right? That's the idea. So the same thing with your mind. You clear away all that underbrush and your ideas become clearer. You get insights because there's room for them. 
And your perceptions are clearer. So, yeah, why wouldn't you describe that as getting high? You know, we, in, in the process of going on these retreats with you and meditating and playing golf and, and really, in the sense, uh, you know, going off the deep end, taking the red pill or whatever pill Neo takes to, to wake up. He's talking about the movie The Matrix. Yeah, which is a great Buddhist <laughs> no metaphor. No pills. No pills. No pills. Yeah. But, um, you know, then we talked about, um, you know, I guess your first teacher, uh, Chukim Chukim Trungpa. Trungpa, Trungpa Rinpoche. Right. Um, you know, who's an interesting cat. Like, I'm sure you can research him if you're interested. But, um, you know, he had all these ways of talking about those kind of thoughts, like the, the, the monkey. Or is the monkey mind uh, uh, come before Trungpa Rinpoche? It's, um, it's been part of the tradition for thousands of years. Right. And it, it's often talked about as a mind that jumps around from, you know, all, all over the place. And that's the kind of thing that I was talking about, of not having clarity and just jumping from one thing to another. But there's an, an interesting other um, expression that involves a, a monkey, and that is our perceiving mind. And this is what I've been teaching a lot lately, and that is that our perceptions, our perceiving mind is the traditional metaphor is it's like a monkey in a room with six windows. And the monkey's jumping around from window to window. The windows are our perceptions. When the monkey's looking out of one window, all the others go to the background. So if you're paying attention to listening, like if you're listening to this podcast, all your other perceptions, seeing, hearing, feeling, smelling, tasting, they all go to the background. That's why it's really important to alternate back and forth between listening and looking, especially if you're driving while you're listening. To this. Most people are <laughs> yeah. driving to work. Yeah, so so, so pay attention to what you're doing, right? But um, if you're focusing on looking, the everything else goes to the background. The sixth window, and now for, for golf, we have that because the, oh, the sixth window is your thoughts. Hmm. You're perceiving, you also perceive your thoughts. Yes, you're thinking them, but who's hearing them but you, right? So you're perceiving your thoughts. When you're listening to your thoughts, all the other perceptions go to the background. That's why, let's say you leave, uh, you're leaving to, to drive home and you're going to stop at the store, but just before you leave, you get into an argument with somebody. And you get in the car and you're really pissed off and you start driving and you go, you, and now you start replaying. You know, when they said this, you know what I should have said? I should have said that. And then, it, then they would have said this. Then I could have said that. And then I would have gotten my point across. That's a good one. And then you start pre, what I call pre-playing. You say, ah, so next time I see them, and now you imagine, next time I see them, when, I, when they say this, I'm going to say that. Then they'll say this. Then I'll say that. And then I'll get my point across. And you pull in your driveway. You miss the store. You don't know, <laughs> you don't know what route you took home. Right. And you just missed 20 minutes of your life. Why did you, why did you miss 20 minutes of your life? Because your, the monkey mind was only looking out the thought. It was only perceiving thoughts. It was seeing what was coming in the thought window. Right. And not, not really connecting with anything else. So um, the, the point of, of that is, I mean, I, I, I told you I'm, I got gray hair. I can't afford to miss 20 minutes of my life. So I don't want to spend it replaying and pre-playing. I mean, think about it. If you're watching TV, if you get to watch TV and, and the only TV you get to, you're going to be able to watch for the rest of your life are shows you've already seen or previews of coming attractions of shows you're never going to see. <laughs> That's what it's like. Because you're replaying the past, but in a different way than it happened. Never accurate. Never accurate. But it's still the past. 
And then you're pre-playing the future in a way that's not going to happen. So it's a show you're never going to see. I would rather watch what's new that's coming up right now. And if I have to think about something, choose to think about it rather than the thoughts hooking me and taking me away and capturing me and, and into a daydream that I'm not awake for. Now we get back to wakefulness and right. being awake to your experience. That doesn't mean you can't think, but know that that's what you're doing when you're doing it. Hey, Sklar Brothers here, Randy and Jason, and we have a couple of podcasts. If you you know them or you don't know them, check them out. We do View from the Cheap Seats, which is sports and comedy, and we have a podcast called Dumb People Town where we break down stupid behavior done by stupid people in this stupid world of ours. It is hilarious. Check them both out. And now, check out this podcast. So when we're, we're talking about golf, um, you, you have your time for thinking. You, you calculate the yardage and the elevation and the wind and how, how well you've been hitting which clubs and which one are more comfortable. And, and you think it all through. But, but the, at that point, you have to let go, have the thinking mind let go of control and have your instinctive mind, which is an athletic, instinctive, non-thinking mind that runs your body, take over and let it happen. And if we can do that in life and choose when we're thinking and then hit the program and let it run, we'll have a lot more fun. I mean, you make me think of so many things. Um, I guess it's my job. Yeah. Your your (laughs) job is, yeah, you're, you're an inspiring person. And, um, I mean, I guess for me, um, well, briefly, we've talked about it a bunch, but briefly the idea that you are not your thoughts. Mm. Have you ever heard that one, Jeff? Yeah, we sort of like misperceive what we perceive ourselves as, whereas everybody else sees something completely different. No, more like literally the thoughts in your head. They're not you. They're like anything that. You, so we had, we over identify with our own thoughts. Is would you agree? Yes, definitely. And and in fact, um, it's, what, can what, I just what, say what it one I, more one more way? Yeah, like it's like you know when you've, have you ever surfed? Uh, once. So you know how you have to paddle out and you go above the waves, yeah. But then there's a way to go under the waves, yeah. You know, so so it's like oh, that's body surfing. Well, yeah. Well, no regular surfing, they do it too. They can go under. Oh yeah. I mean, if they're really good. I thought I thought the <laughs> board be, would keep them on the surface. I think anyway, if it's a big wave, they can go through it. But that sounds good. Enough surfing analogies. <laughs> the idea is that there's a way to kind of sort of live underneath your own chitter chatter of your mind. Oh, I'm I'm going to be like this. So nervous. Future past. That's one way of talking about it. What what I like to say is. Um, you have thoughts, but you are not your thoughts. Your mind is bigger than your thoughts. The mind is a container. Um, if, if you, if, you know, on 4th of July, if you were watching the fireworks, the fireworks goes off and you go, wow. You just, you just see this explosion of light and sound. You're not thinking. The thinking about it comes after. So what what mind was doing, it wasn't a thinking mind that was perceiving those things. So your mind perceives sights, sounds, thoughts are just one part of that. They're, the mind is the container, and what you're experiencing are the contents and the appearances. So thoughts are something that appear in your mind. You know, um, do you ever uh, see the old toy, it's a magic eight ball? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's an eight ball and you turn it over and you wait, and then words come up. Well, different words come up each time you turn it over. The, word, the words aren't the eight ball. The eight ball is the container. 
Mm. Right. And then the words come up. If uh, picture a, a crystal ball, right. And a gypsy in the crystal ball and seeing things. Oh, I see this. And I see that the crystal ball is the mind. It doesn't have uh, a color. It doesn't have a, a limit to it. The, the mind isn't, it's bigger than a crystal ball. It doesn't have a shape, but like a crystal ball, it's clear. And when things arise in it, then you can see it clearly. So the quality of the mind is clarity. And as human beings, we really have uh, only two things that are not content. And that is the capacity to know, that kind of clarity, and the capacity to, to feel. And, and so when you take them to their highest form, the capacity to know becomes wisdom, and the capacity to feel becomes selfless love or compassion. And if you're truly compassionate, there's wisdom there. And if you're truly wise, there's compassion. They're interdependent. Right. See, they go together. That's right. So any questions, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to wrap my, ma- my mind around all of this. Don't um, try. Don't try too hard. <laughs> don't try. Let it, just let it sink in. Do you have any great Buddhist? Oh, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, um, I've been, you know, getting into golf a little bit lately. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sort of curious from working with different students, what are some of the biggest mental roadblocks you see you know, put in front of them that they have trouble defeating or wrestling with? Well, rather than talking about what they have trouble with, let's start with, let's, with what we start with as the biggest obstacle. Because what we're talking about is you, you can already, you were the, you know, we, we think backwards most of the time. We think my baseline is I'm terrible. And once in a while I have moments where I hit, hit a good shot. In our lives, we Wait, think... Wait, that's wrong? <laughs> yeah, that's wrong. And in our lives, way too often, we focus on the negative. I do all these things bad. If, if I'm lucky enough for everything to come together, then something good happens. But, but it, it's really, we've, we've kind of been trained that way, and, and it's backwards. The baseline is, if, you, if there's no interference, if you get out of your own way, whatever good capacities you have, they show up. So... Uh, in in a sporting venue, if you, if you're playing golf or, or another sport, whatever you've practiced and skills you've developed, your physical capabilities, all of those, the best will show up when you're out of the way. So what I focus on is how do I identify the interference and clear it and and undo the bad habits that are interfering with me getting the most out of my game. The number one is worrying about results. Number uh, one. Bar uh, number one. Number one. Um, I work with, with Christy Kerr on the LPGA tour, and she came up with the acronym because concern about outcomes uh, and, and thinking about worrying about how it's going to turn out, we tend to then protect or guide or help or, or interfere in some way to try to make that happen. Oh. As opposed to, oh, yeah, Eric knows. Oh. As opposed to letting that happen. Okay, so Christy came up with the acronym. She says, worry about results, W-A-R. When I worry about results, I'm at war with myself. Mm. And I said, yep, exactly. So that's been a lot of what, what we've worked on. And I work at every level of golfer. I had a, a player yesterday who had kind of the, the chipping yips. That, mm. means, that means you kind of flinch whenever you're about to hit the ball which is a terrible feeling, a terrible oh, experience, tragic. right? And, and I said, well, it's because it's you're worried about results. And he said, not any, no, that, I, I got to disagree with you, Doc. <laughs> Amazing. He said, he said, 
if I may, I need to disagree with you because I don't care about the results. I'm, I just would like to have good impact. I just like to get the club on the ball without flinching. That's all, that's all I want, right? And I said, oh, okay, so we'll hit a few shots. But and that's I, the result, isn't it? I, well, it's a, it's an, it's a, I explained to him. I said, well, originally you were worried about the results, and now you've even given up on that. And <laughs> as soon as you worry about the results, then you worry about your technique. Right. And you worry about your technique, and now that's gone to hell. And so now you're worried about just trying to get the club on the ball, <laughs> but, but, which is an, a kind of result. That, that's yeah. true. Now, what was interesting about it was he had some shots. And then, um, and then I said, uh, just to know her, just to, to see if he could impact the club. And he did, he did fine. I said, now see if you can get the ball to land near that brown spot over there on, uh, on the edge of the green. Suddenly he did something very different. He's moving the club in a different way, completely different than what we'd worked on. Hmm. And ping, he flinches, the ball goes screaming over the green. And I said, so what was different about that one? He said, I don't know. And I said, well, you did everything really differently. Why were you doing that? Well, I wanted to try to, oh, I wanted to try to hit the spot. Right. And there it was. He said, oh my God, you're right. It's all about results. It's about how it turns out. And that's not something we can control. No. We can control how we get it started. How it turns out, that's up to the ball. You, you know, yeah. when, 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 I so putting, when I teach putting, when I teach putting, Get the ball started. That's your job. It's the ball's job to find the hole. When we're, we're, there's just, there are some things you can control in life. And, and you know, Eric, from having been in the 12-step program, the serenity prayer, mm. may I have the courage to, uh, and strength to accomplish what I can, yeah. the, the patience and serenity to accept what I can't, and here's the big one, the, the wisdom, wisdom to, to know, know the, the difference. And as soon as you do that, you shift your perspective and say, okay, what can I control? What can I have an influence on? And that's where I want to direct my energy. And, and what I can't, I don't. So there's a, a Zen saying, if you can do something about it, then there's no need to worry. If there, you can't do something about it, there's that no point matter. to worry. <laughs> All right. I think that's such an important life lesson, sort of yes. figuring out when you know, to have the wisdom to know when to push and when to not do anything. Mm. Yeah. People who think they control everything beat their heads against the wall. Mm. People who think they can't control everything, they get swept away by the waves of life and, and they're mistaken in the fact that they can't control anything. Right. Um, I actually I, did well, my PhD dissertation on that. You're, you, use it, you have a photographic memory. A lot of people probably don't know that. I had a true photographic memory until I was in my mid-twenties. Right. And now, now I, I have it, but I'm not sure of it. I can't even remember where the <laughs> photographs are. I, don't, I have the worst memory on earth. No, now, I'll, I'll give you a preview, sadly. Yeah. As you get older, you're, it's like a file cabinet. And, and I see, I, somebody says, what was that guy? And I can see the person's face. Right. And that picture is on the drawer of the file cabinet, and I, I can't get the drawer open. His name is in, his name is in that file cabinet. I know it's in there, right. and I can see his face, but I, I can't get the drawer open. Right. So then I it, it, I say ah, I give up, and about thirty seconds later something happens, and the name pops in, into my mind. So there's right. a there's a delay. There's a you'll hopefully you won't experience this for a while, but there's a lag time. Right. You you remember part of it, and then. You can't, you just can't get that name and then it pops up later. Sometimes 
30 seconds, sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes 30 hours. Your, your brain is understaffed. They're, understaffed. They're, they're, uh, it, I, would say, I would say it's overloaded. All the file cabinets are so full that they're stuck. <laughs> right. One of my favorite things that we ever talked about um, was this idea, and it does relate to golf, the, uh, the three poisons of experience. Three poisons? The three jewels of experience. What is it? Oh, boy. So well, is, the jewels one. are good. Poisons are bad. Three, um, three poisons. No, I thought it was the poisons three poisons. Are attachment, attachment, aversion, aversion and, and, and ignorance. Yeah, yeah. Those are they're. See, I was right I the first time. Three yeah, poisons. I wouldn't say that of experience. They're um, the three elements of what are traditionally called afflictive emotions, mm. and they're an, they're an affliction, and that is a distortion of how things are. Mm. Uh, if there is impermanence and everything changes, then trying to hold on to something and hope that it doesn't change, you're going to suffer. Can you explain that in a way that uh, the people listening can ex- understand? Um, if there is impermanence and everything yeah, changes, I'll, you can I'll, prove this right now. Yeah, sure. Because um, some people might think things we don't had, change. We had this beautiful orchid, and it lasted for a while. We said, oh, this is so great. And then one day we came home, and all the flowers had drooped and down. And you go, oh, right. that's sad. And it was because of the attachment. If we thought that orchid was going to last forever, then when it, it doesn't, we get sad. But think about things in our relationships. Think, think about things um, uh, that, that we have that uh, we are partly precious because they're impermanent, uh, like a little glass figurine or mm-hmm. something like that. And you're there and you're talking with your friend and, and you're having a nice conversation and they're gesturing in their speech and they hit it. And you go, oh, my, oh, my grandmother gave me that. Ow. Okay. It's not going to last forever. It's a glass figurine and they break. Yeah. And so the attachment to it is what causes the suffering. It didn't hurt you for the piece of glass to break. No, it's just a thing that broke. It's a thing that broke, but it's your attachment to it that causes the, the unhappiness. So there's attachment, there's aversion. And basically, you know, we're talking about if you get stuck with something that you don't like, mm. you're not happy. Rainy weather at a de- golf destination. It, yes. <laughs> if, if, you, if, you are, um, if you have what you like taken away from you, like mm. that your favorite glass figurine, you're, you're unhappy. Mm. And, um, and the other is if you ignore what's going on, and pretend that it's that it's not happening, then you're you're going to be unhappy. That's probably if you, like, if drink, like a lot of drinking, maybe. Sure, and if, and if uh, the sirens go off that there's a tsunami coming, you say, yeah, it probably won't reach here. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah, living a sleeve almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the ones for me are, um, I I have a brand new pair of Ultra Boosts, all white. I spilled the spaghetti sauce right on the middle of the toe. Nice. Last night. Yeah. And it was funny to watch myself because I was like, there was it, it, feelings exist in my body. Mm-hmm. And I literally felt my stomach go, fuck. Mm. And then I just took a deep breath. Your and stomach I was like, said that. Wow. That's, yeah, that's, that's weird how that's it always a, like goes to your stomach sometimes, like stress yeah. or anything. Yeah, well, they've proven that that's where they live. Sure. So, so I, the stomach fires off, fuck. And then I just took a deep breath and I was like, what was I expecting? There you go. <laughs> right? right. They, they were going to be trashed exactly. in a matter of time. Exactly. 
the new car that finally gets the door ding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or now here's the interesting thing. Okay. okay. So you get a new car and every time you park, you're concerned about where you're going to park. You're worried about where you're going to park. You, you, you know, you see, you might take a photograph of the license plate of the car next to you because oh, they're not going to pay attention. <laughs> this oh, is what, my dad. Go, yeah, is, you've met my dad. It, I, I got it. Okay, and 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 you, and you're you you're almost anticipating when's it going to happen. Right. And as soon as it happens, you're 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 irritated, sure. but then you kind of relax. Maybe. And you don't. Well, you relax. You should ask my dad about it. You, and and you go up. Oh, it's already happened. Yeah. Uh, Jack Nicholas talked about it actually in his rounds. If he'd get a bogey early in the round, well, the best. He'd relax and he'd go, Well, I'm not going to play a bogey free round today, so let's go and get him. Lights out. Right? Yeah, exactly. The best thing I can do on the first hole is a bogey. That's the, if I have a well, birdie, I, I, I'm set up for major catastrophe. Well, th- then you need to read Zen Golf again. You need to do, <laughs> do a, a little more work because, <laughs> because it really is an independent event and doesn't have any effect on any, any of the others. But I under, uh, it, it's along the lines it's of what an, we're saying. And, and Jeff was asking me about, we'll, we'll go back to the, the golf stuff and this um, uh, attachment, which brings into the three poisons, attachment to results, to getting a good result, and aversion and mm-hmm. fear of getting a bad result and and then ignoring what really is important in what you're trying to accomplish and then and and doing things that you know better than than to do like we talk about the anyways hmm. i don't feel comfortable over the shot well eh, i'll go ahead and hit it anyway wrong club yeah but yeah. the wind came up i'll go ahead and hit it anyway <laughs> yeah so so that's an ignorance one so all of these things are ways that interfere and um, so what in working with golfers, that's the major obstacle. Then that translates into manipulation, uh, either trying to help the shot do what you want it to do or prevent it from doing what you don't want it to do. And sometimes those are together. Oh, why? You know, like, like there's trouble on the right and you're a right-handed golfer and you want, you want to stay away from the right. Um, so to avoid it, you flip your hands over so that the ball will go to the left. And now you've helped it and prevented it. And you get a double left plus a hook. Yeah. And it usually turns out pretty bad. You badly. found some other trouble that you oh, weren't even that thinking you didn't, about. It was so far away yeah. you didn't even yeah. think about. Right? The water so, right is not so, as bad as the OB left. So, <laughs> so, so really that's, how, that's where interference translates in, into that. And then the other one is perfectionism and being unrealistic. Again, about what you can control, and about what's a realistic what's a realistic expectation for results. And I have an equation that E minus R equals F. The level of your expectations, the difference between the level of your expectations and the level of your results, is the Fun. amount of frustration oh, that you frustration. have. Sadly, is frustration. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so. Um, if, if it was uh, no expectations for results, then the, that would equal fun. Right. But um, rarely is that the case. Rarely is that the case. So you have, to, you have to do both. You have to work on improving your results by uh, a better routine and using your breathing to get out of your own way and just focus on what you can control. And then you have to lower your expectations because e- even the pros... Don't hit every shot right exactly where they aim. In fact, Ben Hogan was one of the greatest golfers of all time. And he said, if I hit three shots in a round, 
exactly the way I want to, it's a good round of golf. All the others were close, hmm. right? And some not so close, some more close. But, but we're going to hit most of our shots sort of where we want to. And if we could accept a bigger area of acceptability, then we'd be great. It's something that, that really transformed Christy's game hmm. um, because she's so good and so intense, which in a very powerful, positive way, that she wants every shot going exactly where she wants wants it. And, then, and that actually got in her own way a little bit. So when I pointed out that if you aim at a spot, but realize that you're playing to an area, you don't have to hit that spot, that anywhere in that area is a good shot, <sighs> everything relaxes. Right. It's like if I put a, a teacup in the middle of a big table... And, and you stand 20 feet away and I say, throw a quarter and you have to get it in that teacup. Right. There's going to be a, a, yes, a lot of tension. But if I say aim at the teacup, but anywhere on the table is fine. You wouldn't even think about it. You might throw it left-handed and not even look and you're going to be, and, and you, it might even go in the teacup, Yeah. but it'll be so free and so relaxed and no interference of trying to manipulate and make sure it comes out perfectly. So those are the two things. Concern about results and perfectionism of trying to get there. The the equation you just brought up, um, uh, you expectations, know, expectations minus results, minus results equals um, frustration, makes me sort of wonder, like on a bigger level, you and I have talked about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of these more open ended questions, you know, I wonder if I wonder if I, I wonder if you know why we play golf. Oh yeah, um, and you can look this up. Um, it's a little bit sexist, so I got to give you advance warning. But it's called uh, Callaway Better Than Sex, <laughs> and it's it's a it's a funky it's a Callaway ad where um, this couple is has just been done making love, and the woman says, "Have you ever felt better than you feel right now?" And the guy goes, "Sure, last <laughs> Sunday." Ninth hole, I teed up my great big and and damn if I didn't hit three hundred yards right down the middle. Now that was the best feeling ever, and and I actually used this commercial to teach some of my players, especially really low handicappers or pros, because they get so so caught up in score hmm. that they re, they lose track of why they play golf, and and I say so why do you play for the competition? I said. Chess is a good competition, you know. <laughs> why, 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 why do you play golf, you know, to try to win? Well, you could win at a lot of different things. Uh, it, it's outdoors, and hiking is outdoors. You know, why do you play golf? And he says, uh, you know, to try to get low scores. I said, well, you can get low scores at volleyball, too. Um, I mean, no, you can get, get low scores. You, you get good scores at, vo- at, yeah. at any, any other thing. I said, let me show you why. And, and, I said, and I point out how fast he answers when she says, have you ever felt better than you do right now? And he goes, sure. I mean, there's, there's no pause. Right. He knows that the best feeling ever is when that driver hits that ball and it, and it feels pure and effortless. And, and we come back into the mindfulness tradition. It's a moment of selflessness, of egolessness. It's, it feels like you didn't make it happen that it was just energy flowing through you and the club and the ball, and it was like the club was swinging itself. And, and every golfer who's hit a good golf shot feels that way. I had a player yesterday, he hit one of his best shots, he said, 
I don't know if I even felt it leave the club. It was so smooth. It was, and, and we feel that purity happened from that. And that's why we play golf for those moments, mm-hmm. ironically, when it's, it, we're part of something bigger and it's not just us making it happen. Yeah. Interesting, huh? You know, it's funny because I've, I've tried to ponder the why pretty much, you know, I always, even as a kid, I was like, why is the sky blue? Why, mm-hmm. why, are, you teaching a, why are you teaching a class full of kids? Whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and always trying to understand the why because I think that's the way you really begin to, I think, understand. I think that's the most important question all the time. Why? Why is there a prison on a golf course? Whatever. Um, but, you know, looking well, at your we, answer. We have a little different opinion on that. We'll go into that, though. Okay. Yes, on my Off answer, mic. Off the why. Mic. But when I, it's funny because, you know, I've never really, um, I, I guess hearing you say that now, it, it, it is true for me, right? Because my first round of golf, I hit a three, but it was actually a big Bertha, which is the same as the commercial. And um, I remember I hit, it, I hit it perfectly. I mean, it didn't go in the right direction. But I hit it Feeling. in the sweet spot. I yeah. think that's what you're describing. Yeah, how it came off that club. Yeah, wow. which is actually, it goes further to your other example of it's not even results-oriented. It's merely a feeling that has no world of results or score. And it could, even, it could literally come after a ball OB. It could. You know, you could, it could be your third off the tee, and you just hit it sweet. And that feeling, uh, it, it just kind of transcends any game. It becomes literally. Yes. And then watching the ball. Watching the ball is really nothing. You don't hear anything. Right. It's just that ball, and it gets smaller and smaller, and it's almost like a test of eyesight skill. And um, there's just an incredible feeling. One of my um, <clears throat> closest meditation teachers who I became, he started playing golf um, late in life. His father had always been into golf, and he kind of rebelled against that. And it, kind of the same attitude you had before you started you playing golf. Yeah, right. before you started playing golf. Right. And um, th- he was at a, re- uh, a, uh, a teaching program with some other, some other uh, people, and it was, it was kind of in a remote place, and there was nothing to do. And they said, we're going to go play golf. He said, ah, all right, I'll try it. And he hit one shot, and he said, oh. <laughs> See, it was that purity of feeling and egolessness that happens. And he went, oh, I get it. And he said, when the ball flies out into space, my mind opens up into space. Right. So that connects with the ball flight. Uh, but, and, and the feeling is that feeling of the club swinging itself. So it really tunes into the interdependence and the, that we're not so separate from everything that's happening, everything we're doing, everything in our environment. I, I teach that with the breathing. When you breathe in, you're breathing air that's not you. Hmm. And then it, you, it comes into your lungs and now it's you. When does it stop being not you and start being you? And you breathe out, it's your breath. But then it goes into the environment. When does it stop being you and start being part of the atmosphere? But that depends on how much onions or garlic you had at lunch. But, <laughs> but eventually, the, the, what's you in your, in, your, in your lungs becomes not you. Because right. it's carbon dioxide that's coming from your blood. It's, yeah. it's, from, it's gas from your blood. In, that your lungs are taking out and putting into the atmosphere. It's oxygen that you're taking from the atmosphere and it becomes part of your blood. It comes so, from a tree. And so now the tree's involved. So, so, Piece of paper. So there's no place that you can find where there's actually a border for ourselves that we're, we are part of the, 
of our environment, we're not separate from it. So any kind of sense of separation, so I'm over here, you're over there, and we're different, you know, we're different, that's the source. Look at the source of hatred and struggle and strife in the world, and it's because we see people as different than ourselves. Right. The more we see them as the same as ourselves, the less of that goes on. And as the Dalai Lama said, uh, everybody wants to be happy, nobody wants suffering. And right. we all have that in common. What did the Dalai Lama order at the pizzeria? Um, uh, the, he said, make me one with everything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got a lot of good Buddhist jokes. I that, yeah, that's right. The, the original one is he walked out of the United Nations and he walked up to a hot dog, hot dog stand and said, <laughs> right. make me one with everything in New York. Do you, remember, one with do you remember I made a Buddhist joke? What was I, that? It was very funny at the time. Uh, at uh, the Catch at that the Jeff at, at the time. <laughs> so be ready. Be ready. It was, uh, it was, um, it was uh, a, a Buddhist woman walks into a bar. That's the joke. That's the joke. <laughs> I don't know. See, it's not that funny. but yeah, uh, No punchline. Hopefully, it takes a minute. Hopefully it wasn't a low bar. It takes a minute. <laughs> hopefully it wasn't, wasn't a low bar. Any other good ones? You got to have a lot of good ones. Um, well, you know, we, we don't, we're, we're not that much involved we, Buddhism is non-theistic. So it's not that Buddhists don't believe in God or do believe in God. It just doesn't come up because it's not a religion in that sense. It's a... The Dalai Lama talked about it as... uh, He said, my religion is kindness. Mm. And he also said, Buddhism is uh, the science of mind. So so we don't talk about God. So then the the question is, what do Buddhists say when when they're having orgasm? (laughs) Oh... Oh, well, oh, oh, kindness. oh, 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 compassion. <laughs> so anyway, the, did you uh, ever talk to Chuck M. Trunkle about that? Cause he was sort of a playboy, right? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say that he, uh, was steeped in tantric practice. Whoa. And you that, know about that, Jeff? And that <laughs> you, you, you've, you've heard about that. Yeah. And it, it's, um, uh, working with, uh, all the energies in the body, including sexual energy, right. to tune into and clear away these the, this particular stuckness and afflictions right. that we have. And it's a metaphor. You know, a lot of the the uh, both it's both Hindu and and Buddhist. A lot of the Indian art depicts people uh, in union. Yeah. Uh, but what that really means, it's not about sex. Hmm. It's about the masculine and feminine principles. And how that they're they're again interdependent and they interact with each other, that you can't have one without the other. That masculine and feminine have to come together to be a whole. Yeah. It's like the the uh, doesn't sound da- It's like the Taoist symbol of the white and you know the white and black the, the half, yang. Half, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. It's the same principle. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to make it not sound like fun because that's really it's not just about. Ooh, ooh, this would be fun. Let's do that. I, right. I want people to take it seriously because yeah. it, it's not something that you go into lightly because it, it's also an issue. And that is if people go into that and don't understand what's going on, um, there can be a lot of experience of uh, sexual abuse and sexual mm-hmm. uh, taking advantage of uh, and, and sexual misunderstandings. Yeah. Because... Both people have to really understand what's going on. I mean, we look at, at, at politics and 
um, here's another thing of, of a delusion and how uh, ignorance and misunderstanding can cause a problem because, you know, a 70-year-old politician that thinks that a 25-year-old is really attracted to him as a hottie, um, I think it's more about the power right. and not quite about the sexual attraction. But, right. but they want to convince themselves of that. So they think that it's a consensual relationship. Mm. They really believe that. But that's because of ignorance. Mm. They're deluding. It's, uh, I would call it delusion, passion, you know, attachment, aversion, and delusion. Mm. That they're deluded about that. And so that's what makes them think, oh, yeah. Uh, uh, that my intern is really, really interested in yeah, me. Totally fine. And, and therefore it's fine. And it, it really isn't. So we have to be aware of that. We got to wind up here in a second. Jeff, you have any questions? Um, well, why don't we dig into uh, the new book? I'm curious oh, to learn perfect. more about it. It's got a great green cover. Do you know what color green that is? It's like a forest green. It's like a forest That's green. That's the whole point. It's a hundred acre wood. It's, oh. Winnie, it's Winnie the Pooh. In you know the what else? Acre you wood. know what's commonly on a hundred acres, right? Golf courses? Golf courses. <laughs> That's a good size for a golf course. That's right. It's 80 is a little small. It's, I think it's the, the green on the cover is about the color of a beautiful green on a golf course. That's true. It yeah. must, must have been a subconscious <laughs> intention. But uh, um, I wrote this with my sister. Disney asked us to write a book that uh, used Winnie the Pooh uh, as an iconic character and a beloved character who doesn't think so much but has great, you know, it's bear a very little brain and bear a very big heart. Mm. And so to use that to illustrate principles of mindfulness and kindness. So the book's called A Walk in the Wood, Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. And you can get it online or in, in bookstores. Um, uh, my original book is Zen Golf, and you can see that at my website, zengolf.com. Amazon also, uh, right? Uh, everywhere. And, and Barnes and & Noble and, and yeah. everywhere. I don't want to particularly pick one one online bookseller <laughs> but um it's a walk in the wood and my sister and i wrote it and my wife is a graphic designer for disney oh. and so she designed the book she oh, did the fantastic. cover and the interiors uh and and each chapter has a story about winnie the pooh through the day uh in which he wakes up and, and does his mindfulness practice and then goes to visit his friends. And as he's walking through the woods, remember I talked about the, the six sense perceptions. Uh, he's working with the mindfulness of sense perceptions. What he's seeing, how the ground feels under his feet, the breeze that he's feeling, the smells that he's picking up. The, it sounds the, like what you told me to do on the golf course. Yeah, exact, exactly. And then he visits his friends and teaches... He teaches Piglet to have confidence. He teaches Eeyore to cheer up. And he teaches Tigger to calm down and, and so on. And what I love is the stories are for, they're written for adults and children. Yeah. So adults, there's a plenty of humor and interesting ideas in the stories for adults. But they're also truly children's stories about Winnie the Pooh and the characters. So adults can read them with their children. And after each chapter... I give instructions on mindfulness practice and kindness practice and sense perception practice so they can, adults can do them themselves and then do them along with their kids depending on how old the kids are for the appropriate things. It's like interactive. Uh, absolutely. And, and I'm going to be going to a Montessori school in the fall and okay. teach the teachers how to use this for oh, teaching, teaching mindfulness to kids. 
It's a it's a it's a great book. It's it actually it's got this really nice bookmark as well, the ribbon, mm-hmm. and um, it's it's a great book for um, you know. I th- I don't think you have to have kids. No, to it's, read it. it. It's meant for adult. It's actually an adult gift book. Right. So it's a and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful gift. Yeah. Gift and it just came out. Two, two, went on sale Tuesday. Yeah. So two days. Get ago. on it. Uh, we'll put a link in the um, in the podcast description, right, G? Oh, definitely. Perfect. Boom. Um, any questions for us, Doc? Uh, uh, how's your golf been lately? <laughs> it's good. Um, I, uh, I've been, you know, traveling and playing. Um, see, what's funny is you, what did you ask me? How's your golf been lately? Yeah. Yeah. So what's funny is my first thought is like, well, I'm a 10 and a half handicap. Da, 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 da. And I mean, I mean, there's obviously multiple ways of answering that. But you travel all over the world playing golf, so isn't it fun and interesting and different everywhere you go? Well, I have two modes, right? I have the mode of like, I'm on the road, I'm traveling, I'm experiencing something. And that is, um, you know, it, it, it's, 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 it's divided up into some portion. I don't know. It depends mm-hmm. every time. Some portion of I'm working, I'm shooting. Right. I have to think about cameras and equipment and yes. lighting. Yes. The other one is like, I need to be, uh, you know, uh, relatively awake and, and funny and humor, I think is a great way of being in the present. Of course. Um, you know, and then, and then the other is, is interest in the story and who I'm around and, and the interview perhaps. Um, and then the last, is, the last two are, where am I? What, what can I, how can I connect with these mountains or this snow or this grass? And then the last is how did I hit the ball? So that's that's work mode. That's travel mode, which is fine. Still, it sounds like really important to have mindfulness through all those different phases. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and what's funny is, the, the funniest is, you know, I know uh, because I've been doing this long enough that the camera has no idea where the ball goes. No, that's right. <laughs> and we're going to so cut it therefore, together. Therefore, you can let go. Yeah, we that's cut great. it together in any way possible. And so it's funny to think I'm going to just hit this as hard as I can. And, and then I just snap it 80 yards left. And... Kind of hold my pose. <laughs> That's good. And how about when you get home? When I get home, uh, well, yesterday was funny. As I got home and I hurt my knee a little bit on this last trip, so I, I didn't really want to hit too many big shots. But there's the club championship coming up, mm-hmm. and so I went out and practiced chipping for the right. first time in a year. Right. And I made a little game where I I, I drew a ten foot. I, I dropped the flag around mm-hmm. the f- hole, so it was like an eight feet circle. Got it. And I had to hit fifty balls inside that circle. Nice. Do you think I, I did? I love it? that. I love that. Do you think I accomplished that goal? I think you got to about thirty-five. Thirty-five. <laughs> I got to. I got to forty-one. Ah, see, I, was I couldn't. Close. I couldn't make it past forty-one, and I tried like six or seven times. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it is frustrating. So that was interesting. No, you, you see, now let's take a different perspective. So you got four out of five inside that circle. Well, That's by the way, good. on my on my yeah. last revolution, <laughs> on my last revolution, I hit two in the hole. Mm-hmm. And they were clustered way closer. There was just one fat one and one thin one. Whereas in the beginning, I was like all, all around the, the edge. Yeah. But in the be- at the end, it was, a, see? It was so much I'm, tighter. See, we have a different thing. Your first thing was how frustrating it is. I said, look at the positives. I picked one, and then we talked about another yeah. positive. So I always want to direct people. There's so many good things. You don't need to focus on the bad one. And, right. and if you're playing golf with somebody, and, you hit one, and you're a right-handed golfer, and you hit one way, way left into the woods... You don't have to announce, oh, I pulled that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we pretty much know that. So it's not, it's not news. Yeah. Uh, now, Jeff, how about you? How is it? What, uh, so I've been going you, to the driving what you, range. What do you like about playing golf? Well, uh, for or me, Or do you it's, like it yet? No, I, <laughs> well, 
Well, I love the escape element. Like I get away from, uh, from different responsibilities mm-hmm. I have and I can kind of just like isolate and mm-hmm. this is like a relaxing place to be. That's good. But now after... You can go hiking too to do that. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but now after about four or five weeks, I like go into the driving range every Saturday, you know, doing putting practice, mm-hmm. chipping practice. Now I'm kind of focused on uh, wanting to be good, you know, to improve my skills. So uh, at first I was doing pretty well and now I'm still doing well, but... I feel like more like I'll get like, you know, five, six balls in a row. I'll just hit them far right, far left. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of getting too well, much in my head now. Welcome about... to golf. <laughs> welcome to golf. So how about we make a pact that the three of us are going to play together as soon as we can? Oh, I love that idea. Oh, yeah. definitely. I love yeah. that idea. Let's do it. And, and then we'll get back. I've never played with We'll Jeff. get back on another time. Yeah. And debrief. Uh, that's great. <laughs> well, we've been, we've been meaning to do a podcast uh, on Jeff's golf game because I've never seen him swing. We never played together. Mm-hmm. He started after working on this podcast for the, mm-hmm. since when February. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, in uh, yeah. March was like the first time I March, played. right? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's so very let, exciting. Let's do that. I love and, that idea and make that a podcast. Will all three of us It'd get be so on funny and debrief on Jeff's game? <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast. My Thank pleasure. you for returning my call so many years ago. Thank you for including me in so many aspects of your personal life, your work life, your uh, meditation life. And uh, thank you for coming to my 30th birthday party. Um, I thought that was the round you were going to talk about, which was at Spyglass that we played together. Yeah. No, that was, that was, uh, that was memorable, but, but it wasn't as unusual. Okay. Right. The round at Morro Bay was bugged out. Oh, that's the one. I mean, I was fucking, I was literally like, (laughs) I had like, uh, you know, when you go to a, um, you know, when you go to a uh, a recording studio and they have uh, the soundproof stuff all over the place, it was like I had soundproofing all over my head and everything was kind of silent. I don't know. That's good. Yeah, it was good. It was really okay. crazy. Well, my pleasure. Yeah. It's a, it's a wonderful journey. Let's continue. Very good. And good luck with the book. Everyone check it Thank out. You. A Walk in the Wood by Dr. Joseph Parent and Nancy Parent, his sister. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.